If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 491. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch the podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Don't forget to give me that email address while you're there. I'll give you the free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Again, go support McClanahan Academy. It's a great way to support the show. You get awesome coupons when you're a member at McClanahan Academy. You also get great content if you purchase it. My latest class, Originalist Papers Part 4, is out. It's the last part of the four-part series on 101 documents in favor of the ratification of the Constitution. It is so good, you need to get it. And it also applies to this particular podcast, the topic of the day. So... You're going to want to get that class. It, the, the part four has got speeches from the Virginia Ratifying Convention, the New York Ratifying Convention, the North Carolina Ratifying Convention, the first one at uh, Hillsborough, and of course, parts of the Federalist Essays uh, uh, from 78 to 85. It's got so much good stuff. One speech from the South Carolina Ratifying Convention, so much good stuff in that class. You want to get it. The whole series is great, and of course, it is out now. If you're on my email list, you know that. Also support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Another great way to support the show. And of course, share it around on social media and rate it wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, let's talk about the topic of the day. Now, I will say this. I may only get two podcasts in this week. I don't know. I'm trying to work on another project right now. And finding the time to podcast is a little difficult. But if I can get more than two in, I'm going to try. Can't promise it. But there are a couple of pretty important topics to cover, and one is this recent order by the CDC to keep the eviction moratorium in place in the United States. Now, I want to talk about the constitutional side of this. We know that the Democrats in Congress tried to get legislation of this effect through. They never could. It would have been blocked. We know the Supreme Court, and I'm going to talk about that, said that the eviction had to be lifted July 31st unless the Congress extended it. Now, the entire question of whether Congress can even pass this type of legislation is constitutionally dubious. In fact, I would say there's no power for Congress to do any of this stuff. Even if you want to look at the Commerce Clause, uh, I think that is completely preposterous. You, What you can make a case in that, and what people have made a case, is the civil rights legislation where someone travels from one state to another, stays in a hotel, and therefore become interstate commerce. But in this case, when you go and you live in, a, in an apartment or a house or a condo, whatever it is, and you rent that, that dwelling, you are a permanent resident at that dwelling 99% of the time. I mean, you might have someone who was living there uh, temporarily for some reason, business or something else, but most of the time, the vast majority of the time, this is your permanent residence. So you're no longer committing interstate commerce 
This is intrastate commerce. And the question, of course, is property rights. What kind of power does the general government have over property rights in the United States? Who are the people really getting hurt by this? Of course, people that own property and they can't collect any rent. They still have to maintain these properties. They still have to pay the, if they own a mortgage on it, still have to pay the mortgage, still have to pay the taxes, and yet they have no revenue. So who's really getting damaged by this? And we know there's been a lot of fraud and corruption in part of this. And we know there are other, of course, there's other side of this people that may have been dramatically affected by the government shutdown, which was the real problem, not the virus, but the government shutdown, who may not have been able to have a job or uh, might have lost revenue or income. But, of course, we've also seen that the government has pumped a lot of money in the economy. So there's two sides to all of this. But I want to talk about the legal side of this. And is this moratorium by the CDC constitutional? Now, we know Joe Biden himself has even said, I don't think it is, and I don't think it's going to stand. But what he's doing is, of course, giving it time. Now, the Supreme Court's already ruled on this once. And they did a bad job of it. This is why I've always said, if you put your faith in the Supreme Court, you're going to be disappointed all the time. It also shows a real problem with the U.S. Constitution and how it operates on individuals. That was a big question in the, in the ratifying conventions. Taxes. You see, the U.S. Constitution operates directly on individuals through the taxing power. In this particular case, if you violate the CDC's rule... If, you're a, a, if you own a house or an apartment complex and you throw people out, well, you're going to be fined and arrested by, this, by the, the general government, by the CDC, essentially. Now, I've looked for the CDC clause in the U.S. Constitution. I can't find it. But you're going to be fined by the CDC tremendous amounts of money. And you're going to have to fight yourself. I mean, this, there isn't really a nullification issue in place here because the state is not the conduit for this action. Now, unless you say that this was an, an issue where state resources had to be used to arrest someone. So if, if uh, the federal government came in, if a federal officer came in and arrested you, well, that's one thing. The states could refuse to use any of the resources to enforce this mandate, which would mean that no state police, no local police, anybody can arrest anyone. But if someone is evicted, they go to a lawyer, and they get a lawyer, and they take that person to court. So now it's outside of the state legal process and, of course, the state resources with arresting officers. So this becomes a big issue. You could also say this is a case with Obamacare when we had the mandate in place. And so that was also an issue. You didn't pay the mandate. Well, the state can't really do anything about it because that's going to operate on you as an individual as a tax. And this is exactly what opponents of the Constitution worried about. You're going to have direct taxes, so you're going to have a situation where people have to pay a tax. The state can't block that because that's on your personal tax return. And so if you don't pay it, well, then you're going to face fines and penalties and maybe even jail time for not doing that. So this is, this is where all this comes into play, this direct operation on the citizens of the United States by the U.S. Constitution, if you look back in the ratifying conventions, this was something that was brought up a lot. Okay, it was brought up a lot. Proponents of the document even admitted it. Okay, yeah, this document operates on individuals, but it won't be abused, was their promise. 
They won't abuse this power. They're not going to pass any taxes that aren't of immediate importance. And the only time you're really going to see that, it was argued, is we're fighting a war. Now, I know the United States has got a tremendous military presence around the globe, over 100 countries now. And uh, our military commitments are oppressive on the economy. They are. I mean, the United States spends more money than the next several countries combined on our military preparedness. Now, we can make a case that, of course, you need to have a strong defense. That creates a, 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 the, it, it removes the need for a strong offense because you won't be attacked. It protects the people of the United States. Of course, all those arguments can be made. But it was said that we're only going to need to raise taxes in times of war, which means there would have to be an actual war going on to worry about this. We're not in any declared war right now. We know, though, that the National Defense Authorization Act has suspended habeas corpus, which is illegal if you think about it, the way it's supposed to be used. But Congress has done it. The president signed it, so they can suspend habeas corpus. Only in times of emergency, it was argued that that should be done. I mean, in fact, that was one of the most important civil liberties you can find at the period that the Constitution was ratified. This was discussed openly. Well, we need to have this prohibition on suspending the writ of habeas corpus, except in certain circumstances. We've got to protect it, right? We've got to protect that. So we've got all this working here. Now, can the CDC issue these type of decrees? Well, constitutionally, no. Again, Joe Biden has pointed out. What I'm going to do is read a piece by Jonathan Turley, who is generally a leftist political scholar, though he's been more in line with libertarian thought in the last, uh, well, since the Obama administration. He's come out against some of the things the Obama administration did. He was, of course, also critical about Trump. He's fairly independent on what he says. In fact, more than anything else, I think um, Turley is worried about power, right? I mean, he, he's concerned about power and illegal use of power. It doesn't matter if it's coming from the Republicans or the Democrats. He does not favor illegal use of power. One thing I'll give Turley credit for is that he did a speech one time where he was very critical of Abraham Lincoln's use of war powers. That is an amazing thing for a mainstream scholar to do, to be critical of Lincoln in the use of war powers, because most people won't have the guts to stand up and say that, particularly if you're in the establishment, which Turley generally is considered part of the establishment. He is, uh, after all, a pretty, pretty prominent law professor. I mean, that's what he is, right? I mean, Jonathan Turley... Um, is uh, is in the mainstream, George Washington University. Uh, so he's not someone that's just, you know, some fly-by-night attorney that has things to say. So let's read this piece that he wrote uh, just a few days ago. And I know it's August 9th he, he published this. Uh, and so I'm just a little bit, actually, a day behind or so as I'm recording this. It, the title is Canceling the Constitution. Biden hailed for violating rule of law to extend eviction moratorium. I and mean, the title says it all. Biden did violate the rule of law. We have a rule of men now, not the rule of law, in extending the eviction moratorium. The law doesn't matter anymore. And I mean, this is preposterous what's happened here. And the left standing up and cheering, oh, yes, look what we did. Congressmen, 
look what we did. In fact, what they're doing, what they're saying about it is they didn't do anything. Congress didn't pass any legislation. They've just admitted their jobs are irrelevant. Their jobs are irrelevant because this is the executive branch doing something illegally. They've just applauded the installation of a dictator, essentially. Someone that can do something by decree. That's the very definition of tyranny and dictatorship. That's what they've applauded. So he says, Below is my column in the Hill on the extension of the eviction moratorium, a move that his White House counsel and most legal experts told him was unconstitutional. This is Joe Biden. However, according to the Washington Post, Speaker Nancy Pelosi encouraged Biden to call Harvard professor Lawrence Tribe, who is one of the most notorious uh, leftist professors in the United States, who reportedly advised him that he had the authority. I've had many and sharp disagreements with Tribe over the years, but there is usually some good faith underlying disagreement in controversies like impeachment. This is not such a case. I fail to see the credible basis for telling a president that the CDC can use the same authority that five justices just declared it did not have. Right? And so, even though the Supreme Court upheld the eviction moratorium that Congress put in place, they said at the time it was unconstitutional, but because it was going to expire in a couple of weeks or just a short period of time, they weren't going to do anything about it. But here's Biden saying, forget it, we're going to keep it going. Now, what Biden realizes is that that gives him time. It gives time for Congress to extend it. It gives time for it to travel through the courts. It gives time. In fact, this might take weeks or even months to get sorted out. But we have just created a situation where the rule of law no longer matters in the United States. This is dangerous. This is very, very dangerous. We are in uncharted waters here in the United States. The rule of law, publicly, openly, no longer matters. So here's his column. He said, here's the column I wrote. During the 2020 presidential campaign, then-candidate Joe Biden told voters that the choice between him and Donald Trump was between the lawful and the lawless. He called for voters to support the rule of law, our Constitution, a choice repeated uh, mantra-like by the media to end Trump's assault on the rule of law. Now, six months into his presidency, Biden is openly flouting the Constitution with a knowingly invalid extension of the eviction moratorium, and some law professors and advocates on the left are cheering him for it. I mean, this is, this is how dangerous this is. I mean, Biden did do that. He said, look, Trump is lawless. The Democrats, the entire time, Trump is lawless. And in many, some cases, he was, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. But here's Biden now doing the exact thing he said, if you vote for me, we're going to follow the law. No, we weren't. Biden never would follow the law. In fact, this is, without question, an impeachable offense. Biden has openly and publicly violated his oath of office to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. By doing this, he has violated, and, and Republicans, I know we have people that have contacts with Republican legislators, Republican congressmen, but Congress, most, most importantly, this should be put front and center in 2022. We will impeach Joe Biden for this violation right here. And if the Congress had any guts, they would do it, and they would remove him from office for it. This is a high crime and misdemeanor according to the way that part of the document was sold to the states during ratification. Biden has violated his oath of office. 
He has abused power and therefore should be impeached and removed from office immediately. There should be no question about this. If Trump had done the exact same thing for anything else, it would have been used against him in that way. So I've made the case that every president in the last hundred years plus should be impeached, or just about every president. There's a couple I can make a case for that maybe not. But here is the first instance, also signing in a whole bunch of unconstitutional legislation is bad. Uh, all the executive orders, bad. But this one is really over the top. A few weeks ago, the Supreme Court ruled on the authority of the Center's for Disease Control and Prevention to impose a nationwide moratorium on the eviction of renters during the pandemic. Some of us criticized the CDC order as unconstitutional. Of course it was. The reason is the breathtaking authority claimed by the CDC under a federal law that gives it the power to, quote, make and enforce such regulations as in its judgments are necessary to prevent the introduction, transmission, or spread of communicable diseases. Now, can the Congress allocate legislative power to a bureaucratic branch of government? Absolutely not. In fact, Article 1 of the Constitution, Article 1, Clause 1, is very clear. All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States. That doesn't mean they can delegate them out. It says all legislative powers herein granted are vested in the Congress. They cannot delegate those powers to anything else but themselves. So they can't give a bureaucracy power to make and enforce such regulations. That's laws. They can't do that, right? It's illegal. I have long been a critic of such unchecked and undefined authority in pandemics. This, however, is a particularly chilling example. We give the CDC authority over huge swaths of our economy to avoid even the possibility of the introduction of or spread of a disease. It means that a constitution designed to prevent tyranny and authoritarianism becomes largely irrelevant if you put on a white lab coat. After all, the law was designed to control disease, not democracy, as a public health priority. Right? So, I mean, this is now a lot of this comes out of the Cold War. It's a lot of people don't realize these powers that states are using, and of course, the question about the CDC. There was a real concern during the Cold War of biological warfare nuclear warfare. So was there going to be a way for the states and the general government to control a situation like that? And if they had that authority, they could use it to do lockdowns and other things. The question is, do they really have any of this authority? If Congress does it, well, then maybe you could say that. But not some bureaucracy, some regulatory agency created by the Congress designated to the executive branch. In its 5-4 decision in Alabama Association of Realtors versus Department of Health and Human Services, the Supreme Court kept the CDC moratorium in place, but left no question that a majority of justices ultimately viewed the CDC order as unconstitutional. On the minority side of the vote, Justice Clarence Thomas, Samuel Lito, Neil Gorsuch, and Amy Coney Barrett wanted to suspend the eviction moratorium as unconstitutional. Yet the CDC's original order was about to expire anyway. So, in somewhat baffling concurrence, Justice Brett Kavanaugh supplied the fifth vote in favor of the CDC to allow the law to simply expire and thereby enable an additional and more orderly distribution of the, con of the congressionally appropriated rental assistance. So, Tur uh, Turley's saying, look, the real thing, Kavanaugh said, yeah, we're going to let this go because we got this congressional law and we're going to let that, till July 31st, we're good. 
But he said it was unconstitutional, but yet we're going to let it continue till the end of it, and that's it. That's it. No extension. It's done at the end of that. It's unconstitutional after July 31st. Thus, Kavanaugh voted with the majority in this case, but also indicated that he agreed with his conservative colleagues on the larger point that the CDC never had the authority to issue the nationwide eviction moratorium in the first place without a congressional act. 100% true. 100% true. Congress never passed anything here. And even if they did, you could claim that was unconstitutional. Biden acknowledged the obvious, that any new order to extend the moratorium would be unconstitutional. Indeed, he admitted that legal experts overwhelmingly told him so. The bulk of the Constitution scholarship says it's not likely to pass constitutional muster. Yet he added that he was unable to find several key scholars who think that it may and it's worth the effort. <laughs> several key scholars. This is a disaster. This is a disaster. A disaster. The fact that most scholars relied upon the by the Biden White House that the move would be unconstitutional is, is itself remarkable. Given the makeup of most law faculties, Democrats in Congress usually can expect hundreds of supportive academics to sign letters and attest to their legal positions. But they didn't have it this time. In fact, they all said, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, you're really on thin ice here, Joe. He violated his oath of office. And again, if we're going to follow the Constitution as ratified, this is a 100%, 1 million, 1 trillion. In fact, I don't want to give this number away because the Democrats are trying to find numbers higher than trillion. One quadrillion percentage impeachable offense. This is it. And convictable offense. This is it. If we're going to follow the original Constitution and how impeachment was sold to the states. The question then arose as to who would offer Biden constitutional cover when virtually every other liberal professor declined to do so. And the several key scholars were guessed by some of us to be a single figure, Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Tribe. After his own White House counsel agreed that the move would be unconstitutional, <laughs> so his own counsel said, you can't do it. It's unconstitutional. Biden reportedly told his chief of staff, Ron Klein, to call Tribe who has been consistently there for Democrats, from supporting court packing to declaring Trump a terrorist to attacking Republicans and those with conflicting views. Tribe and I have long disagreed on constitutional questions, but the partisanship was often laced with some plausibility. The advice in this instance is incredible for its sheer mendacity. The court clearly stated that the CDC lacks the authority, but Tribe reportedly assured Biden that this technicality, or this technically, I'm sorry, would be a new order even though it is based on the same unconstitutional claim. So his claim is, look, that old order, yeah, that's unconstitutional. Issue a new one, and then they can take that one to court. This is what Tribe's advice was. What you're doing now is a new order. The old order expired uh, July 31st. That one was unconstitutional. But this one is constitutional because you just issued it. So now we got to tie it up on court again. That was his advice. That's not the way the Constitution works. That's not the way federal power works at all. The founding, I, I would say even John Marshall is probably spinning in his grave on this one. This is, this is just a naked abuse of power. It is like being given a parole for stealing a BMW and then immediately stealing a Lexus because it's a different car. The problem was the act, not the make of the car. 
What is particularly alarming with Biden's reason for what it may be worth the effort, that at a minimum, by the time it gets litigated, it will probably give some additional time while we're getting the $45 billion out to the people. In other words, with appeals, the Biden administration could rush out money before the courts could shut it down. I mean, it's this is an, a naked, uh, just, uh, I, mean, I can't even come up with enough words to describe how bad this really is. How bad this really is. And when you look at the legislation they're proposing and everything else, all of this is awful. According to the Constitution, it's all awful. I mean, people are going, well, this benefits us, it benefits me. But it's it's a naked, we're, we're going to be sliding off into a place we can't really come back from with this. It's a disaster. Biden was hailed for his extra-constitutional commitment to social justice. Extra-constitutional commitment to social justice. So this is kind of like the 1850s when you had people like William H. Seward stand up and say, well, look, I know that there are things that are legally dubious about what we're saying here, but there's a higher law than the Constitution. Right now, when you have a higher law idea, this is, this is yeah, what we're saying here is illegal, but there's a higher law than that. Well, what's the point of a Constitution? Right? And this is not to say that that whole issue is the same, because we're talking about slavery and freedom. But in this case, we're talking about illegal acts, which are denying people the ability to uh, gather income from their properties. I mean, this is, this is dangerous. right? And the Supreme Court has already said this is unconstitutional. So if there's a higher law in the Constitution, well, where is your Constitution? Why do we even have it anymore? The real issue here is the unwritten versus the written Constitution. The written Constitution clearly says... The, the CDC has no power here. The Congress can't even do this. The president can't do this. But because tribe is saying, well, you know, basically we're going to treat it like the unwritten British Constitution. We'll just pass another thing and let the courts deal with it. And while it's, while it's being litigated, we can do whatever we want. So that means, well, we're going to pass a law, clearly unconstitutional, that says that uh, anyone that owns a pair of uh, white shoes uh, should be thrown in jail. Well, clearly that's unconstitutional, but it's the law. And so you have a bunch of you know gung-ho people. Yeah, white shoes are terrible. Let's go arrest all those people with white shoes, throw them all in jail. Well, all these people are being thrown in jail. Clearly unconstitutional. But yet, until we litigate this out, see, that wasn't the point. The point was, if something like this was ever done, it should have been stopped, boom, just like that. So what you would have to do here, this, this is the hard part, though, because this is operating on individuals. People would have to be willing to throw people out and then go to either go to prison or be brought to court, and then you'd have to deal with that. So you're going to have to incur court fees and everything else. I mean, this is the really hard part of it. So that's the issue here, and Biden knows it. The Democrats know it. Most people aren't going to want to do that, and understandably so. So they're just going to, okay, we're just going to deal with it. One liberal commentator declared that with one small action, Biden reveals himself as a better leader than Trump. A better leader than Trump. That one small action was violating the Constitution, as uh, as uh, Turley points out. The document he swore to uphold, so help me God, it is inaugural. Nevertheless, gutting the rule of law is somehow seen as a sign of leadership and action. Well, this is the case throughout. I mean... It's almost like, hey, Turley, read my book, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. This is the whole point. This is why people were against this document to begin with, because this kind of stuff was going to happen. If you look at the list of best presidents, 
The reason they're the best presidents is because they all violate the Constitution, and the left seems to think that's great. I mean, it's it, it's it's uh, amazing that people are. And Charlie's a smart guy. Figuring, finally figuring this out. Hey, the greatest president in America is a guy that violated the Constitution, Abraham Lincoln, over and over again. Hey, another great president, Franklin Roosevelt, violated the Constitution over and over again. Hey, another great president, George Washington, violated the Constitution several times. Hey, another great president, Teddy Roosevelt. Hey, another great president, Harry Truman. <laughs> I mean, we could go down the list. Got a lot of them. Hey, another great president, Lyndon Johnson. Hey, another great president. Andrew Jackson. I mean, some of the ones I put in the book are not going to be called great presidents because of the leftist bias, like Richard Nixon. Okay, so he's bad. I agree. Hey, another great president, Barack Obama, violated the Constitution over and over again. Same thing with George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, Barack Obama. I'm sorry, uh, Donald Trump, uh, Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan. Biden is not a first-time offender, Turley continues. When he was vice president, the Obama administration greenlighted the expenditure of billions under Obamacare, despite lacking congressional approval. I represented the House of Representatives as lead counsel in successfully challenging that clearly unconstitutional act, but the administration was never required to get the money back. With the cover offered by Tribe in this instance, Biden apparently hopes to repeat the same tactic to bar evictions while evading the Constitution. Yeah. I mean, because this is what we get, right? When, the, when confronted on his unconstitutional strategy, Biden repeatedly reminded reporters that a pandemic is raging. Yet just months ago, Biden declared his election would amount to the triumph of the rule of law and would show the, that the flame of democracy cannot be extinguished, not even with a pandemic or an abuse of power. <laughs> you can't make up the hypocrisy, right? I mean, this is what's so bad about all of this. And the left doesn't care. In, in reality, if you flip the parties around, the Republicans are doing this, the Republicans wouldn't care either. We don't have any kind of constitutional government. So Biden is now blowing out that flame while attempting to excite political demands for unconstitutional action. It will come at a great cost for the country and his own legacy. The oath he took on January 20th did not include an exception for political convenience. Indeed, it is often inconvenient to uphold the Constitution, but the alternative is a type of self-eviction on the basis of one's oath of office. Impeachable offense, I would say. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time for the next one. See you then.